Welcome to Punch Card Investing, a weekly show dedicated to all things value investing. Whether it be analyzing companies, pitching ideas, or discussing moves by the best investors in the world, we're trying to get one step closer to punching an investment off of our cards. Let's get started. Let's get started talking about <laughs> bank runs. <laughs> this is really not okay. <laughs> Thanks, intro man. Always coming in. Uh, so it's just Tom and I to kick this one off, but the one and only after-dinner investor, Jason himself, will be arriving shortly, um, and it'll be our trio today. But, man, it's, what, a, what a wild uh, couple days here in, in the world of banking. Silicon Valley Bank just announced, or I don't know if they announced, but the government announced that the FDIC, Federal Depository Insurance Corporation, whatever it's called, um, just took over the bank. They had a bank run, and we'll talk about that. And implications of that potentially and also what we can learn from it because there's always something to learn in these sorts of uh we'll just call them no good in uh, events um what we can learn for looking at future companies future banks future exposures it's always uh, good to see what you can learn out of a otherwise bad situation um and godspeed to anyone who has deposits with them <laughs> or any companies as well so uh before we get into that of course be sure to check out all of our stuff in the description below. We got our discount links to ShareSite and Seeking Alpha down there. You sign up using those links. You can try out the free versions there as well. But if you end up switching to a premium version, we might make a nice little commission there. So go a long way towards helping the channel. Uh, and ideally, you'll, you'll have a nice little product there that you can enjoy. Uh, Seeking Alpha has all sorts of financial news on different stocks and also uh, exclusive articles as well on all sorts of companies. Uh, so it's a good research tool potentially depending on what you're trying to do, since they do cover a lot of otherwise undercovered stocks, especially in our little value corner. Um, and then also with ShareSite, that's a more broad application, I would say, in that you can track your whole portfolio using it. Um, and I know, Tom, you're a longtime user of ShareSite uh, for all your tax prep as well, so it's helpful for that too. So check that out. Again, there's a free version for both of those apps, uh, and you can get a discount using our link below. And uh, like, comment, subscribe. Of course, how could I forget to ask you to do that? That helps us most of all. So if you haven't done that already, please do that. Subscribe, especially, so you don't miss future episodes. If you, for some reason, enjoy hearing us talk about whatever we talk about every single week. Tom, how have you been? Uh, been pretty good, Jack. Just been kind of watching the action with Silicon Valley Bank recently. And it's, it seems to have kind of flowed on across a lot of banks. Sort of, uh, I think one of the sort of some of the bank indices have been down a lot recently. So it seems like general fear spreading a little bit in the sector. So it's been interesting to watch. When you look at a crisis like this, um, is it, is it, does it feel a lot smaller now that you have dad duties and, and that, you know, every problem is just, who cares now? It, it, everything's smaller than this. Do you get a little bit of that perspective now? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, let's just say I, yes, I, absolutely. I don't care about any crises I, I, anymore. Yeah, I feel. I feel like that's going to be an evolving thing. I don't quite know. Um, we'll, we'll see. You mean the you mean the uh, perspective? Well, you know, crises yeah. will become worse now as, as your kid. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah, I still lay. I still lay awake at night sometimes uh, thinking about stocks. So it hasn't completely <laughs> changed, but um, yeah, priorities certainly move around. Toss and turn, thinking about Thor, thinking thinking about that backlog, thinking about revenues 
Yeah, that backlog's <laughs> not very big anymore. But yeah, that's, not the, topic, that's yeah, not the keep, topic. Yeah, that's not the topic. Yeah, so I mean, it's a mean keep you keep you keep you up in line. Um, yeah. but bank runs. I know you were doing a lot of bank studying. Uh, thinking about banks at all when you're during your sleepless nights. A little bit, yeah. I mean, it's it's gotten. Um, yeah, the, like I say, the Silicon Valley Bank um, bank run and failure has kind of made a lot of banks come down in price a fair bit recently. So that gets interesting, assuming that you don't think this is going to be some nationwide, um, you know, beginning of bank runs left and right or something. Um, so I think it, I think I saw it's the second biggest in U.S. history for like a proper bank like takeover or collapse, whatever you want to call it. So it's it's kind I of a weird so. situation because it's not technically collapsed because you know since the 30s in the u.s um there's all these backstops put in place to where a lot of um we'll just say that the gains are privatized and the losses are publicized or socialized so um you have like the fdic now which theoretically is a backstop for a lot of people they deposit they um insure they say they insure up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars per customer um, in deposits. So the small guy should theoretically be fine here. Uh, but some of these bigger accounts, if, if they end up going completely insolvent, which it doesn't seem like they are yet. Um, it's this weird situation where you had a bank run. They're not necessarily insolvent. Totally. They have assets potentially they can liquidate and, and get away. All right. But it was more like a timing issue. It seemed just with instant liquidity that they didn't have at the time. Um, since I saw something like 30% of their deposits were, called in like a day so pretty much i mean very few banks if any are going to have that kind of liquidity that quickly um so i know they were trying to raise money sell off their bond portfolio further than they already were i'm trying to kind of get in their head of ourselves but maybe we should try to set the scene a little bit more of kind of what happened here uh i know you've been doing some research on it tom i'm pretty new to it today um but it is an interesting situation just because it's thankfully pretty rare and Ideally, it won't become more common, but uh, you mind setting the scene a bit on kind of how we got here? Yeah. Um, I mean, long story, yeah, long story short, they ran out of money <laughs> or ran out of equity at least. Cash. Uh, Cash. That, that ter- well, they ran out of equity, I would say. Um, initially, that sort of terrified everyone um, sure. when Silicon Valley Bank came out halfway through a quarter and said they were going to try and raise some money. Um and then banks are very leveraged entities by their nature. They don't have a, a very high proportion of their assets in cash. You know, it's not uncommon for for banks to be leveraged, say, 10 to 1 in terms of assets to equity. And a lot yeah. of those assets are loans or maybe securities portfolios, um, a lot of which can't immediately be turned into cash if all your depositors want their money back. So, um yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize it was thirty percent in a day, like you said. But um, that's the, what I saw. Be, don't quote me there. But yeah, I, there'd I, I be very few banks on the planet, I would say, that could um, have the cash line around to fund that. So that's yeah. that's pretty nuts. But what what essentially caused it was um, Silicon Valley Bank. If I can just find the figures in the annual report here, um, you mean their balance sheet with their yeah, so owning seemingly so, high. Balances. So a couple of th- yeah, a couple of weird things happen. If you look through um, their cash flow statement, actually in their annual report, which just came out quite recently, um, earlier in the year, um, they had in 2021 this massive purchase of what they call HTM securities, which I believe means held to maturity securities. Um, just for some context, in 2020 they um, 
they had a cash outflow of a little under $7 billion towards those securities uh, in 2022. So skipping forward a couple of years, it was a little under $5 billion. Uh, but in 2021, they poured $85.5 billion into those out-to-market securities, a lot of which were, were long-term bonds. Um, that was more or less like the peak of the bond market. <laughs> so they incinerated a fair bit of equity through doing that. And if you look at their uh, latest balance sheet, if I can find it, um, there's weird kind of accounting nuance, it seems, with these um, how to maturity securities. And I need to give a shout out to a tweet. I'm sure a lot of people on Twitter have seen uh, at Raging Ventures shorted Silicon Valley Bank in in January and laid this all out and was that's pretty legendary status at this point because he was perfectly right. But um, there's a a weird accounting nuance where um, on the balance sheet for Silicon Valley Bank, those held to market securities don't need to be stated at their mark to market value. Like if you were to liquidate those those bonds and what have you at the time, um, they can be stated at cost. And since Silicon Valley were down quite substantially on that bond position, that wasn't necessarily being reflected in their balance sheet. So just to run through the numbers, um, Silicon Valley Bank uh, at cost had $91 billion in those bonds um, as of their 10K, which I think is more recent than that tweet thread you're looking at. Uh, Fair value was only 76. So 76 versus 91 is about a $15 billion hole there. Um, As of this 10K release, uh, Silicon Valley Bank only had 16.3 billion of equity using that higher number. So yep. you suddenly go from like 16 billion in equity to one. Um, <laughs> and no. you know, these guys, these guys have got like over 200 billion in assets, you know, loans and um, various securities and things. So they, they, for whatever reason, made a huge bet on bonds at a terrible time um it incinerated a lot of equity they tried to raise some equity it scared people people stopped people kind of pulled their money out and it all just fell apart so um that's more or less how it went down as i understand it i'm curious what's going to happen now um now the government stepped in like there is a chance that this is kind of remedied in the next week or even days but then again this could drag on um but there's a lot of money tied up because i think right now i mean it's effectively like in receivership like like everything's kind of frozen at least it's my understanding once the fdic steps in because they don't want more money leaving want to make sure that they can mm-hmm. kind of sort everything out so i'm kind of curious what's going to happen what what the government will tell them to do uh, whether there's going to be some backstopping coming in from anywhere the fed or some federal agency or whatever it is um including the fdic i guess so it's not like it's all over but it is a disturbing sign given just the size of this and how many, and then also how many companies just have money with um, SVB and maybe that's where some opportunity is. It's not actually in the bank itself, but it's in all the companies that have money tied up there. If you believe that this is just that most of the depositors will be all right in the end, which I mean, we'll see if who takes a haircut uh, if anyone, Um, but maybe that's where the opportunity is. It's, people who are reacting to the news that, oh, you have funds with uh, SVB, uh, sell this stock. And maybe, maybe that's going to create like a little episode for some of these companies that have plenty of liquidity outside of S- uh, SVB. Um, just an idea. I haven't done any research into that, but maybe that's a potential opportunity here just in the near term. Um, yeah, quite, so- quite possibly. I, I mean, there's a, just to 
keep running through some numbers here because there's huge amounts of dollars <laughs> tied up. Yeah. Um, so as of their, uh, what dates this? As of the end of December 2022, um, Silicon Valley Bank had $195 billion in liabilities. So some of that's going to be long-term debt. So bondholders and so on, we'll have to see if they can get anything back. Uh, I haven't looked at the prices this morning, but as I understand it, Silicon Valley bond prices are down a lot for obvious reasons. <laughs> well, one would think. Um, but uh, but $173 billion of that $195 billion is, is deposits. Um, so... A lot of money tied up there from a lot of companies um, in Silicon Valley, predominantly, obviously. So yeah, and well, and and then if we'll call it thirty percent or however many actually got out, um, you wonder where it's at now. I'd assume quite a bit lower. Uh, I highly doubt it's any higher than that. Yeah, for sure. May, now I begs the question: kind of, what do we? Is there anything to learn here? Uh, is this just just kind of a banking nuance? Is there something we can apply to the companies? I guess one thing I hadn't even really given thought is uh, where are companies banking? <laughs> you know, that that actually is a valid concern that I had never really even thought of. Because um, if a company has all, all of its cash with one bank and they need that cash all of a sudden, you know, you're, you could be in some trouble in, in this weird situation, however rare it might be. So it's something I never gave thought until kind of this. Yeah, yeah, I know Berkshire, for example, mostly has their idle cash and treasuries. So yeah, right, that avoids most of that issue. But yeah, um, separate issues. But yes, um, yeah, uh, but yeah, for just actual pure cash holdings, I, I wonder if that's kind of a big reason why companies do that. Just you know, I think it is for sure. Yeah, yeah if you're if you're going to make just basically no interest anyways, might as well have it insured by the government than some bank that is only partially insured by the government. It's probably something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. makes a lot more sense yeah. now when you look at it this way. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I mean, other lesson for me that jumps out, I, I mean, like I say, banks are very leveraged by nature, but even, even before the um, bond kind of catastrophe, Silicon Valley bank will leverage about 13 to one. If you use maybe 10 as a bit of a rule of thumb, that's a little more than usual. Um, but not crazy, like you know. In two thousand seven yeah. eight, we were seeing like north of twenty times uh, leverage, and that was one of the reasons a lot of entities blew up in the financial crisis. Um, the other thing is like, I think in that raging capital tweet, uh, the bond portfolio increased like seven hundred percent or something in versus the prior period yes. of time. So just seven hundred. Yeah, those sorts of things should jump out to you, hopefully, as you're, as you're reading through financial statements, trying to look and at things. Let's see. They, um, they increased their security portfolio by 700% at a generational top in the bond markets when rates were the lowest, buying yeah. $88 billion of mostly 10-plus-year mortgages with um, an average yield of just 1.63%. That's crazy. <laughs> My goodness. I, I wonder what the thinking was there. Just... Because if rates are already so low, are you guessing we'll go even lower and you get some appreciation and you get out? I, I just, I don't understand the, why would you even do a long-term bond like that at that super low rate unless you're betting on negative interest rates or something? Yeah, and and to do it with more than a third of your assets. Yeah, is, it just isn't, I don't know what the thinking is there. This is this is with the benefit of hindsight, of course, but um, I remember yeah. at the time a lot of people calling it return-free risk 
where you're, you're, yes. you're putting money into bonds to get no yield waiting for what exactly negative interest rates or something crazy like that, which I mean, it could have happened, but you know, when you're putting this, this many billions it's at stake, just seems like a weird move. Um, yeah. But I guess yeah, it was overlooked I, I, by a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, yeah. I, I mean, if you're, I guess you could say the same thing with a lot of companies, but um, particularly yeah. with financials, which I think I said on Twitter this morning, do have um, more potential than most companies to randomly implode if they do dumb stuff like this. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. You you want to see an element of consistency around how um, our management company manages their assets and liabilities in a financial company over time. So to see a big you know, an enormous jump up and how their assets are kind of allocated is, should be a red flag. And it, 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 the, the law, I just don't understand the long-term, like why, why were they doing the long-term bonds? Cause it, it gives even less flexibility than just letting it roll over. Cause, and, and then of course they're pricing it with their, you know, here's the price if we held it to maturity sort of thing that, that we just talked about in the balance sheet. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to. I don't think it was a scheme by any means, but it has kind of that flavor to it. Just the, the way they're showing it on their balance sheet um, mm-hmm. just seems a bit odd. I don't know if we're missing some detail here, but um, maybe not. Could just be a classic bank run. We'll leave it to that. You know, with a little bit of mismanagement in the middle. Yeah, well, I, th- I think um, I think the mismanagement is what caused the bank run. Like bank well, runs. I, yeah, I guess so. Well, it's I mean, it's a combination of things. Like we're in this rising interest rate environment. I highly doubt this will be the only episode. Where, I mean, <laughs> we've seen havoc in the crypto world, if you want to call that banking. But you know, <laughs> pump the brakes <laughs> on that. But you know what I mean. Um, there's a lot of pressure that comes uh, from interest rates rising as they have been significantly. I mean, as you like to quote Warren Buffett all the time, interest rates are like gravity or is that a Munger quote? I don't remember. It's one of them. Um, It is Buffett. Um, Interest rates are like gravity. Um, uh, I guess I should say they're kind of like the inverse (laughs) as well. Yeah. As interest rates go up, um, it puts more pressure on the downside towards pretty much everything else, Um, which is what the feds trying to do. They're trying to cool the economy or and, somehow stop inflation by causing a recession. Isn't that a nice solution <laughs> or, or whatever, uh, whatever they're trying to do or claim they're trying to do. Um, this is part of the result or a potential result in that, okay, great. Now the interest rates are way higher. Your bond values are collapsed and now you're in trouble. And now you got to sell those bonds at a loss, tell all your people that you're selling these bonds at a loss and then they get panicky. Then everyone runs for the door and that's a bank run. <laughs> One type of fake run. Our, our friend Ba in the chat says, looking back, it always looks stupid for some of the steps taken, be it SVB or Lehman. I mean, and it's just the result of using any leverage. There's always a risk of something happening. And then you just, you call the leverage stupid, which is like, all right, mm-hmm. fair enough. It's just kind of, it's an inherent risk with leverage is that your debt balance stays the same, even if your, uh, your asset values fall. And that's what happened. They still had all these deposits they have to honor, yet their asset values that they poured into these long-term bonds and other things fell. So yeah. it's just, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's the risk. Still have to pay those people back. Yes. <laughs> is that, is that the key takeaway here? Just debts bad in K <laughs> or what? Well, 
like uh, i mean banks are very new to me really but uh almost almost anyone who i've heard talk about banks that has a good track record investing in them is you know basically says the the hard part is trying to understand what the assets are and more or less as long as um people don't do dumb stuff on the asset side it could be a good business um so that that's the reason why personally i've steered away from the really large complicated banks because it's yeah it's so just derivative, the derivative, derivative portfolios alone are like you can't even begin well it just feels much more like a black box whereas if you've got um you know a little bank that's doing one or two things or something can they have a good track record it's that just sounds familiar get around. yeah <laughs> i feel like we've talked about, we've talked about at least one of those here <laughs> yeah. Uh, how, how is um how are our friends at Hingham doing? I haven't looked at all. Um, I'm assuming pretty much every bank's not doing well today. I don't think any stock in general is doing well today. But uh, uh, yeah, you, uh, yeah, it's down. Uh, I think it's down below 1.5 times book now, which is getting down there for them historically. But sure. um, they've also got some headwinds as well with rising rates. They they yeah. There's a pretty good time lag for them to pass those higher rates through to to the loans. So, have uh, they issued any statement on it, on it yet? Probably not. It's been pretty fast. Not that I've seen. I, I feel like that's the that's the worst possible strategy, isn't it? <laughs> to just put out a random message saying "Stay calm, everyone." I think that's, <laughs> that's how you cause a bank run on your bank. I would say. I saw. Um, I think I saw it first from Joseph Carlson. He did. He did a quick video on it. And uh, I guess the CEO or someone from SVB was like, um, uh, we're, we're, "Everything is fine except for one thing." Like, like, he, like he, he, who, who says everything is? We're going to be fine in every case except one case. Like, like that's just a weird thing to say in like a press release. <laughs> like, yeah, that's whatever. like that, an interview. You like that's. So- sort of reminds me of my high school biology te- teacher used to always say there's far more ways to be dead than alive. Like you can only have one, you only need one thing really wrong and yeah, right. uh, it's not going to go well for you. So. Right. Yeah. If, if the, uh, if the 1% chance means 100% failure, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got to multiply that probability out. Yeah. Um, that kind of reminds me of like, we've talked about it before with just taking risk in general. And it's like, yeah, if we were like calculators, you would always take, you know, if there's a uh, 50% chance of doubling your money, you multiply like the potential return by the probability if you somehow knew the actual probability. That's basic probability math and you try to weigh your decisions that way. Um, but then there's the added wrinkle of you only have so much time here and that's guaranteed. Uh, so much time on earth, I should say. And do you really want to spend you know, five to 10 years of your financial life on something um, for whatever payoff it might be. So I guess an added wrinkle there because that's guaranteed you're running out of time. That is 100% of the time going to happen. And it's not really factored that into a lot of those probability models. It's a very kind of a subjective thing in a way. Uh, yeah. 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 And that's, that's sort of like the Kelly criterion, isn't, isn't it? Where, um, yeah. you know, if you have known odds, then you can calculate super precisely how much you should bet, but the odds really aren't known in financial. Yeah, markets. that's the that's the tricky part. Everyone pretends like they're known, and then you get a bank run. <laughs> then sure, you get the yeah. Fed deciding to pivot in either direction, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, that was a one yeah, percent chance, but now it's a hundred percent chance because it's happening. Yeah, and, and there's there's often far more than 
you know, two or three potential outcomes. So yeah, that, that yeah. makes the prob- probability maths even even more complicated. Right. I like the general framework, you know, something like Cali, you know, if the, yeah, it's, if the downside's it. lower and the upside's higher, you should probably allocate more cash to that versus, you know, other opportunities when that's where that's not the case. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, probab- the probabilities aren't known. So. It, it's a logical formula. So we want to use logic as much as we can, but we're emotional creatures, so stuff happens um you get yep. scared when the, or, or you, you do something weird like put like all your money into long-term bonds at one percent and then you know that uh that's a weird emotional decision i don't know what that's about trying to squeeze an extra percent out or maybe it wasn't even an emotional decision maybe it's just an error <laughs> uh, yeah. a, a misclick <laughs> of how i'm waiting a billion dollars <laughs> click the wrong button <laughs> Put an extra zero on it by mistake. <laughs> it's a fat finger mistake of you know our whole portfolio of bonds. Um, yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Um, John from Art of Value. There, I heard SVB has slash had an average deposit of about five million dollars. Ouch! I wonder how much yeah. of that is pulled up by like whoever the big whales are. Um, yeah. But uh, I think Art of Value or someone else at least was saying. Um, yeah. Oh, here actually, Louis, our man Luis just said in the chat. I think only two point seven percent of deposits were less than two hundred fifty grand. So wow. that would imply that at least some portion of ninety seven percent of the customers aren't FDIC insured, or at least some portion of their funds aren't. Um, which would seem to make some sense. Uh, so yeah, unless the FDIC is going to pony up a lot more than that for some reason. Um, you would think people are going to take some haircuts here at some level, but maybe not. Um, All eyes are on the government, I guess, (laughs) which is how it's been for a long time. Yeah. Hey, we're getting some love from Caleb here in the chat. This is my favorite duo on the podcast. Don't tell the others. We appreciate it, Caleb. (laughs) Thank you, Caleb. (laughs) Uh, One from Hodo Prime here. I like how the CEOs of dying companies always tell people not to panic. I mean, what are they supposed to do? Tell you to panic and tank their share values? Like, you can't do that. So show me the incentive. Show you the outcome. Says the says our, our old friend, Charlie Munger. Um, you just yeah. got to remember what the incentives are. And the incentives is always just pretend like things are all right. Uh, because that would mean that that would keep the share value a lot higher. It doesn't mean they're always lying, but, you know, you know how it goes. Diet. They are incredibly consistent on saying that type of thing, though. <laughs> yeah. 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 So this, but this, ridiculous. like I said, this is like a weird counterexample where he's like, it's all good except for this one thing. Like, wait, <laughs> you're not supposed this to one say catastrophic that. catastrophic. That like broke the formula. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going great except this one investment now means we have no equity. Um, <laughs> aside aside from that. that, we're doing fine. You're supposed to say how like, we're going to get out of this. We just got to raise some money real quick. It's, it'll all be fine. That's what you're supposed to say. Not wait. This thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, any, any other takeaways from this? Anything you're changing or not changing? I, well, I guess there's anything you're changing, oh, which implies that everything else would not be changing. Um, or maybe something you're looking into. Potentially. Yeah. The, I mean, there's a couple of interesting kind of technical things that I've picked up just from following through this. Like I didn't realize the whole, um, uh, certain securities 
stated at cost rather than at market value and that type yeah. of thing in some cases. That's so that's a for. rather important technical thing if people have big or if banks have big securities portfolios. Um, I know that's definitely not the case with things like Berkshire where their stock portfolio now th- flows through the income statement. So I'll, I'll have to dig into the rules on exactly when you do and don't have to mark to market and all that. That's kind of an interesting like little, little accounting thing to pick up. But um, I think it's just another good example of you have to you have to understand the assets and, <laughs> and they yeah. have to not explode basically. So. And like you were kind of saying earlier, that's why banks are so hard. Insurance companies, anyone who has like huge deposits, um, you got to you got you got to follow the money. And sometimes it goes to weird places, or like you can't really understand what it is easily. Um, so it's tough. And that's why like Buffett always warns against like how, how how banking and insurance are very hard to analyze if you don't know what you're doing. Which this might be a textbook example of why, because um, you you just look at the the balance sheet, you're like, oh look, they they're they're good. They have all these, all these uh, assets worth this much, they're, they're liquid, they're fine, they'll be all right. But then you realize, oh, wait, this is just like their stated value, not the actual value of these bonds. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, like you're saying, it it doesn't look so odd anymore, and now we're in this situation. Yeah, for sure. Um, Maybe we, got, we just got to be on Twitter more, and then we learn these things early from uh, Raging Capital and others. Yeah. The guy's blowing up on Twitter. That's that's pretty legendary, really, isn't it? <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed yeah. it. Absolutely. That's what that's what's always that's also what's wild. It's like that was out there. It's public. Giant fairly giant bank, and maybe not giant in like worldwide terms, but very large by uh common person standards. And yeah, it just kind of got swept away until it was too late. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was a bit more. And it's literally it's right in front of you if you just read the balance sheet footnotes. Exactly, it's all it's all out there. Um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, you know fishing markets. <laughs> yeah, sure. Everything's factored in. It's it's fine. Prices are yes. accurate. It's it's all good. Price mm-hmm. definitely reflects actual value at all times. <laughs> yes, it's mostly right most of the time, but sometimes, sometimes, sometimes incredibly wrong. wrong. <laughs> sometimes yeah. bank run wrong. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Anything else on SVB bank runs in general? Are, are we scared <laughs> of future bank runs? What do the people think? Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see whether it flows to other banks. That would um, be not fun, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Luis with the super chat saying that this is all he has left from his SVB investment. Um, we wish you the best of luck, Luis, and we appreciate you yeah. for sacrificing for the cause. Yeah. <laughs> what are you looking at now, Tom? Any anything new? And I, I missed last week's episode, so I don't know what you guys discussed then. What what did what did you discuss then? What did we discuss last week? Was it thirteen <laughs> F's last week? I can't remember. I think it was thirteen F's thirteen F's last week, wasn't it? Um, no, that was a couple of weeks ago. I was there. Unless you continued oh with thirteen F's. All right, we don't we know what we talked about last, last week. week. Um, are you looking at anything Honestly, right now, Tom? I'm, I, I feel under that much pressure when I'm hosting, I think, that I just fi- forget yeah, what's going on. I, I can um, understand that. I'm going to need to look this up, actually. We are planning on doing some sort of uh, our best ideas episode in the next, yes. probably, maybe next week, if not the week after that, but that'll be coming up soon. 
Uh, unfortunately, it won't be on April Fool's Day like it was last year. That was tremendous. Our Dang. April Fool's Day best idea stream. Um, if anyone's new to, newer to the channel and missed last year's April Fool's stream, uh, I mean, I'm kind of ruining the surprise now, but you might enjoy that one just uh, for some quick laughs. Uh, <laughs> Caleb says, give Tom a break. He just had a kid. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I just looked it up. We talked about the Buffett letter and Alibaba earnings. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's a Buffett letter. Um, yeah. 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 But um, no, I'm, look- I'm not looking at anything uh, new in particular to, that I can think of. But yeah, existing stuff has come down in price a bit. So um, have you been spending, surely you've been spending less time on stocks since having a baby? Or have you been spending more because you're. Uh, no, def- definite, definitely less. Although I did have um, two weeks away from work, so that that definitely helped. But sure. um, back to the day job this week. As your routine, how, how how much has your routine changed? Surely a ton. Um, hasn't been too bad, other than my you know my hours that I work in my day job could be anywhere during the day <laughs> they're not not as strict office time that, could be early in the morning late night, somewhere in between yeah, blessing yeah. And occurs. so there you go i've had, definitely had much more early starts put it that way <laughs> fair yeah uh i mean it's got to be an exciting time even if exhausting yeah for sure see is he uh has his investment vocab <laughs> Still working on it. Still Sorry. working on it. I tried to tried to read them, read them the Buffett letter, but uh, I don't think there was much retention from that. So yeah, still babbling. He'll get yeah. there. Exactly. <laughs> I'm still working be. on it. I mean, yeah. you know. <laughs> first words will be compound interest, of course. Yes. Show him the rule of seventy-two video from way back when. Uh huh. Jonathan Morris of the super chat weekly reminder to buy the index and compound for ninety-nine percent of us. I just tweeted the other day saying that the average person thinks he or she is above average. And I would actually extend that to say that basically everyone thinks they're above average, which is impossible. (laughs) Um, So just keep that in mind. We could all be fools. (laughs) Assume we're below average. Someone responded to that saying the the above average person thinks they're below average. Maybe so. Or at least acknowledges that they could be below average. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah, that's 80% of people think they're on the top 20% and all that. Yes, similar, similar, same deal. But thank you, Jonathan. We appreciate it. And you're technically not contrarian, but contrarian for here views. (laughs) Jonathan will do well. Yes. Really, frankly, as long as you pay attention to your financial house and you make contributions consistently and – you're, and you don't put $88 billion towards 1.63% 10 year 10 times leverage. And like, <laughs> you'll probably be fine. Uh, <laughs> just, just don't get reckless. Um, and you'll probably be okay. You, you're you're going to be better off than if you spent it all on, on Starbucks, of course. You know, can't be spending $88 billion on Starbucks lattes anyway. So. Gotta put the money somewhere. You could buy a Starbucks. <laughs> like yeah. the company. <laughs> I guess you could. I mean, how many what's their bond portfolio look like? We're gonna have to look at everyone's bond portfolio now. What's what what are those short-term cash alternatives? So what what are those really? <laughs> yeah. I gotta take a close look now. 
I suspect Starbucks doesn't uh, <clears throat> doesn't have quite the leverage, but um, you never know. They got a lot of stores. I don't know. Got to probably throw off quite a bit of cash. Got to put it somewhere. <laughs> mm. It is a weird business banking to have, like you know, the best bank you can probably find doing like a two percent return on assets or something. They just lever to the hills to get a good return on equity. Well, it's a very unfree industry in that, like, it's highly regulated. It's incredibly consolidated now, especially since Dodd Frank. You've seen. I was actually looking the other day, so I was talking to a buddy about it. Um, you know, my friends, we, we we talk about banks consolidation, of course. You know, <laughs> that's this group here, and you find them all on Twitter too. Um, but I think it was something like there were nine thousand banks uh, back in nineteen ninety five, and now we're down to like say like four yeah, here we go um okay never mind back in 1990 there were about 15,000 fdi insured fdic insured banks um in the u.s and we're all the way down to 5400 or even less now i think it's below 5,000 as of 2020 so incredible consolidation in a very relatively short period of time banking is such an old industry so this it was never like this before where you had this incredible consolidation um so you're left with a bunch of gigantic players and then uh, obviously the Fed has become more powerful than ever just in the amount of stuff it owns. So it's just a very odd industry in general because of that factor alone um, and all the things yep. that tons of regulations get to. Like, could you imagine trying to start a bank right now? Like you'd have to spend hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars just on attorneys, which, you know, would help me out to, you know, just to get started and to make sure you're following regulations, spending tens of thousands a month meeting filings, assuming you want to offer anything that people actually get like, you know, re- uh, residential mortgages or credit cards or all these highly regulated lending industries, at least in the U S and I'm sure it's pretty much the same in the, in the developed world. Um, just a massive amounts of red tape for better and for worse. Um, and maybe, maybe this is just, maybe that's just the consequence. You just get consolidation because it's, so costly to actually run a bank in the first place. Yeah, you still get, you still end up with mistakes. So isn't that fun? Now the mistakes are just way bigger. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they're also, I don't know the exact history on this off the top of my head, but I think there also used to be a lot more regulation back in the day around um, banks not being able to operate in that many states other than the uh, state, Yeah, um, way back when, yeah, there were, uh, yeah. They were quite, yeah, right. You couldn't have multi-state banks. Um that was more in the era before the Fed. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but but that is correct. Uh, and I forget what I forget the term was. There was a specific term for that. But yeah, in, interstate banks were were not allowed. Um, banking way back then, it, it's just it's it's so much different than now because just the whole environment is so different. Um, because you got um, reserve requirements are so different now. They're uh, I mean, even when it came to the when it came to the Fed, it used to when even when that was first started, it needed to have gold reserves before it could do anything. So the the currency was effectively backed by gold, and before that, of course, it was directly backed by gold, technically speaking. Um, but then that was slowly broken over the 20th century. Um, so it's, it's just a, it's a very different industry now, mainly because of just what's happened with monetary policy and then all the regulations and everything, especially after the depression and. Second World War and all that, but without getting into the history of banking, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, we got another super chat from this time from Eunice. 
always appreciate him stopping by our, our Turkish expert on super sticker. Even I had to go on YouTube to, uh, I had to go on the stream to just see what that was, but it says you're number one. So thank you, Eunice. That's oh, cool. Yeah. The stream yard doesn't show the sticker. That's even better. No. How kind. Yeah. We we literally only see what you saw on the screen just then, Eunice. Yeah, it's super, super, super sticker. sticker. <laughs> yeah. That's all but we thank got. You, but thank you, Eunice. Um, you. you know, I, I said at the top of the show, Jason would be stopping by. I don't know what's going on. Maybe you texted me. Um, no, I don't know. Oh, man, Jason, I, I shouldn't have said you were coming. Uh, you got you got me you got me looking silly <laughs> maybe maybe he hasn't had dinner yet yeah can't invest so until he, can't invest yeah. until he's had dinner on this friday exactly. evening in the u.s yeah could be a late one we'll see <laughs> um what what else that's kind. Of, I think I, that's all. I don't want to talk about banking anymore, unless you do, Tom. <laughs> uh, no, that's about all I got. Um, cool. We could definitely take some questions, though. Yeah. Here, there's actually one here for you from Caleb. Tom, I, I heard you say you own ETFs. Why don't you just buy more Berkshire if it's a reasonable price to book? Yes. <laughs> no, that's more or less what I've changed to, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are your ETFs uh, yeah. mostly in like, like you know, re- designated retirement accounts and that sort of thing? Or, oh uh, yeah, good point. Uh, yeah, all of my retirement accounts are just in index funds because that's. Yeah. Uh, I think I could. I think I know of a way to get that in Berkshire if I really wanted to, but there'd be some admin there, <laughs> and I don't know what the fees would be like. But more, where the options are pretty slim for retirement accounts, so that's just indexed. Um, uh outside of that i have like etf holdings i bought in 2017 and have never added to so they're fairly small really so sure it's most mostly individual stocks at this point fair enough um (laughs) i got asked if i'm going public with my cleaning business uh it's not exactly the plan and we're well away from that point that would not make much sense unless i did that um what was that holding uh I forget the deli. Yes, the hometown international. Yes, <laughs> wow, you you remember that one? <laughs> I made a whole video on it, but uh, that was great. Um, well, it was terrible, but it was a nice story. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, it was a yeah. uh, It was like a holding company with a bunch of weird like ownership structure with all these sub entities. But the main entity, all all it showed on its balance sheet was this deli that produced like a couple tens of thousands in revenue, but it was, yeah, it's market cap was like a hundred million dollars. So if I was going to be going public, it would have to be something, some sort of scheme like that. <laughs> but the, the, the guys running it got done for stock manipulation and things, didn't they? Oh, I, I never, I never followed up on it. Is that what happened? I'm fairly sure. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I, I, yeah. I, I, I there I, was like so little volume, like two of them or something were just pumping the price up. I'm pretty no sure. way. Oh, that's so good. Let me, let me, let me see. What was it called? Hometown international. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's not public anymore. Um, it, it was over the counter before. Um, hometown international stock. What fraud? Let's say, let's see. I guess. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Um, Prosecutor, this is according to Wall Street Journal, prosecutors said that illicit trading inflated hometown international stock by almost 940% from about a buck 25 to nearly 13. 
Um, so yeah, looks like they looks like they got at least they got charged with it. I don't think I don't know if they actually got um, officially. It looks like they're. I, I'm only seeing that they were charged, not actually convicted. Um, <laughs> but that's funny. I, I remember someone in the in the in my comments was like very hostile uh, and was, was saying like, "Oh, like they ha- because they have all these you know warrants and whatnot, it must be fine." I'm like, "Well, I mean, they're still not showing it on their balance sheet. So, and if it's a warrant to a shell company that owns nothing in it, you know, what do you really own?" So anyways, it's just, it's just amazing. Um, Maybe that was the CEO fine. under an alias. Just <laughs> That would be something. <laughs> that was this guy who got charged. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, I'm not planning on going public. Uh, that's not really, I mean, really the goal is just to improve the business, do what you can to keep service as good as possible and just continue to build the team out. And if it ever makes sense, eventually, let's say it gets to a massive level, making tens of millions of dollars. But I, I mean, I'd have to be multi, that'd be a, a national brand at that point. Um, but uh, it'll be uh, then it would, it would, we'd cross. I'd cross the bridge when I got there. If it makes sense for some reason to go public, because I wanted the money to supercharge growth, and sure, that would be the decision. But I mean, I'm so far away from that point. I haven't given it any thought, anyways. Um, but I, that's kind of the equation for any business that I would understand. Just you try to grow it. And if it eventually makes sense to raise money because you need money for growth and you don't want to take out debt, it's a way to do it. Um, assuming you're not doing nefarious things, you're just trying to pump the stock price, get a cash grab and let it go. But if you're actually trying to grow the business. That's that's why you would do it. So yeah. just fo- focusing on building up that cash flow. And I'm, learning, I'm definitely learning a lot with just management in general and sales, I'm trying to build out a sales team right now. If anyone happens to be in the Houston area or knows someone in the Houston area, I am trying to hire some sales folks, uh, especially for the summer, even like a summer sales position. Um, so in any college students in the audience or who know any college students, that could be a, a nice little summer job if you're looking for something to do. Um, but yeah, without getting too pitchy, <laughs> that is what I'm trying to work on right now is building out a sales team. Because right now the sales just, team is uh, my manager and I, so uh, we've been doing the selling, the little door to door the other the other weekend, and I did very close. Nice. Did close. So it's been. We, ne- we nervous going into that, Jack? Or no, I've done it before. Not sales. I have done so bad way back in high school. I volunteered for like some political campaigns, and you had to go door to door for that. Um, so I'm relatively desensitized, but there's definitely some anxiety going in. Um, but I have confidence in our product since we do a good job. And, um, once you kind of get going, it gets easy. And I do find that people are, are a little bit nicer uh, in Houston than in Chicagoland when it comes to door to door salesmen, they're just a little bit less, uh, uh, mean, we'll, we'll call it, <laughs> but okay. it, it's, um, as long as you, you know, avoid houses that say no solicitors or anything like that, you should be fine. Um, people, if they don't want it, they'll just tell you're not interested. And of course you have a few people cut you off right away. It's a little annoying, but you're interrupting their day after all. So it makes sense. But anywho, um, did that. It's been beautiful weather here in Houston. So it's, it's quite good. Very nice. I was just, I was just trying to look up if you did go public. Um, I was trying to see if there's a, there's a, there's a name for a category smaller than a micro cap. I know there was a nano cap which apparently is smaller than $50 million in market cap. But I'm sure there's one below that that I can't recall. 
No, I want to say it's like a Pico cap or something, but I, I might be making that up. <laughs> I don't know what's after if Nano. anyone knows, let us know. <laughs> yeah. Is, is uh, there something smaller than Nano? Uh, you, you just asked, am I only doing door-to-door sales? No. Um, the vast majority of our leads come in through paid ads. Um, I was kind of experimenting in a new area with door-to-door sales, trying to figure out what our kind of conversion numbers are. And it's about a 2% close rate. I haven't done too many doors yet, but um, did about 100 in a in two days. and closed wow. on a couple. So, you know, that's, um, and, and it was only, I wasn't doing like the full day. It was like, uh, at the end of it ended up being a few hours. Um, just trying to get kind of, uh, work on the pitch a bit, get a script going and that'll be kind of a good starting point for when I bring on some more salespeople. And it's always something I could do as well. Uh, um, trying to encourage our technicians to do some sales as well. If they're, if, uh, we have a slow day and they want to make some extra money, that's one way to do it. And, um, not, not forcing them by any means because they weren't hired as sales folks, but if they want to, it's just an opportunity and uh, just trying to trying to build out demand. Um, since that's our current bottleneck right now, it's getting more people in the door uh, because we got the capacity, which is good, good stuff. So, uh, Joe with a super chat. What's the plan for Berkshire? Y'all going? I will be going uh, without saying too much for our, our, our meetup of some sort, we'll, uh, we're planning on doing something that Friday evening, most likely. So save the date, I guess I'll be sending some more info, uh, definitely in the discord. So join that if you haven't already. Um, otherwise I'll, we'll, once we have our, our date and place kind of locked in for, for our event, our punch card meetup, um, I'll, uh, obviously announce it here on the show. Um, but the tentative plan is Friday evening, uh, the Friday before the Saturday meeting. Tom, I know you're not going this year. You were there last year. Yeah, unfortunately. You have obligations, special yeah. obligations now. Yeah, ne- next year I'm next year I'm fairly confident I'll be there, um, but not this That'll year. Be good. I wonder if we'll meet in person before then. When we're, will our know. paths cross, Tom? I doubt you're, you're doing you're much international to travel. Come visit year. me in New Zealand. Yeah, I'd probably I'd probably have to get down there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have another trip planned later this year that is not to New Zealand. So I, I don't know how many more trips I'd be taking. Um, Maybe if we did an Australia meetup, um, we could get a few of us. I mean, that's not much better than New Zealand for me, but <laughs> no, but we'd, we'd get Frank. I think if we did Australia, yes, that would be that would be good to get a trio. It'd be more efficient for sure. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. And uh, I know Brad is. I think he's more likely than not. I don't want to speak for him, but I, I think I have been trying to encourage him on, on the air, pressure him. We need to pressure Brad to go as well. He, he is at least on the fence, but um, that is uh, that 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 is the plan. I will definitely be there. I booked my flight there, not my flight back yet. So right now it's one way to Omaha. It's, the, the, those uh, ticket prices are only going up. So book your flight. <laughs> Working on getting a job at Berkshire or something. <laughs> yeah, one way, one way. I and Matt just gave us a super chat. I swear, did he not already give us one? No, sorry, Matt did not. Matt Thank gives you, us Matt. consistent super chats. I was mixing them all up, but he gives for the punch card conference fund. Um, so right now, it's uh, I will be there. Brad is tentative. Um, and I don't think Karin's coming because he needs to get his visa to come. And that's like a process. Uh, but I think he was planning on coming next year as well. So I think next year might be the big one where we can get the majority of our members at least to go. Uh, 
it's a bit, it's a big trip for all of us just because it's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> no offense to people in Omaha, but <laughs> it's it's yeah. really in there. Fingers crossed we've still got Warren and Charlie up there as well. I know, right? We'll I was a little worried last year when I was missing it. I mean, we're still a few months, a couple months away, so I shouldn't shouldn't count my chickens before they hatch. But yeah, um, well, that's sort of why I went last year because I was thinking it might. Yeah, be you better get it while you can. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just getting flooded with super chats today. They love us, Tom. Well, it's another sticker. I'm going to have to see what that is. Yeah, Luis gave us a sticker. What does it say, Tom? Hang on. <laughs> uh, where is it? While you look for that. Um, it's a, it's like an excited face with dollar sign eyes. Hey, that's great. We like that. We that's very yeah. on brand. Thanks, Louise. Very we nice. appreciate it. Got this question from Bradley from me. He says, what are some lessons learned from operating? Um, let's see. I, I did have to have a, a hard conversation this week, which I could have passed on to my manager, but I decided to do it myself um, to build a character. <laughs> and and uh, it's just I'm trying to put myself in uncomfortable situations as much as I can, because that's how I'm going to learn the most. Um, and then you'll be able to identify when you're actually hiring people, like well, it'll be easier to identify what to look for. So. Um, I guess, but uh, if we're looking for general lessons, more like reiterating lessons that I might've already kind of known that are probably obvious to a lot of people, but, you know, timeliness is super important. Um, not hesitating to help out a customer if they're unsatisfied for some reason. Um, at the end of the day, reputation is the thing that really carries on. So if it means you have to lose a couple hundred bucks, uh, to make a customer happy because they're un unhappy with some service or whatever happens, you know, you got to do it. Um, so that that's kind of the big lesson that's been really reiterated. Um, and one thing that I'm just continuously working on is just trying to get better at building teams and always trying to put talented people in a, in a good spot um, because that's ultimately how any organization grows. So I'm just really trying to focus on that skill. Um, that's kind of first and foremost, as much as I'd love to just, you know, I could, I could go sell all day myself, but eventually you're going to reach a plateau doing that. So the way to really leverage that leverage, leverage your way to growth is to hire people to do those things um, and try to put them in a position to succeed. So that's really what I'm working on. Um, and we'll continuously be working on for however long this goes. <laughs> so, and uh, as, as um, Buffett likes to say, he's, um, I forget the exact quote, but it's like being a, being a good businessman makes you a better investor. Being a good investor makes you a better businessman. It, it's a two-way street. Um, so that's a, that should be a big advantage long-term, I would think, as long as I go into this with open eyes and you know, open eyes and ears. I saw we had a few uh, Super Chats roll in while I was blabbing. Um, yeah, so, uh, so our next sticker from Luis's uh, <laughs> mustache Uh not not sure what that's about. Like a motorized mustache, maybe or? potentially. Actually, we we forgot to mention, but Silicon Valley Bank is a former back in the day Pabri investment around. Yeah, I did see that on Twitter, or someone someone posted yeah. that. Um, he yeah. did pretty well. Um, yeah, there was something about the bank had options in a bunch of the dot com startups that weren't reflected in the financials, and he managed to sort of 
ride the bubble wave for a little bit and did pretty well on it. Um, but anyhow, and then uh, Carsten, we've got no comment, but it's got a little one sort of logo animation-y thing on it because apparently it's his very first Super Chat on YouTube. So thank you very much for that. Thank you, Carsten. I haven't seen that name around. We'll have to, we'll have to, we'll have to see you here more often. We appreciate it. Um, great. All right. Where, where were we? Questions, I think. Yes. T- Tom, uh, uh, yeah, here, Caleb suggested, um, take all the cash the business makes and buy more businesses at two times free cash flow and become a serial acquirer. You say, you say this, um, uh, yeah, I haven't, I mean, I haven't taken a dime out of the business yet. Um, because the goal really would be to roll it into something. Um, and I, I actually am looking at a potential competitor to acquire, um, very preliminary right now, but it's something I'm working on. Uh, and that, that could be, that could be a really exciting thing too. But of course I don't want to go, don't, um, um, uh, outrun the treadmill, we'll say, because <laughs> that could be pretty painful. So I want to be careful, but you know, at worst, I can learn something from the competition uh, in the meantime. So it's it's a it's a good exercise, regardless. Just looking at um, potential acquisitions, looking at what the what the market's offering, and all that. It, it definitely helps in the private setting as well. I don't know. I, 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 can't, I can't I can't call myself an acquirer until I buy at least another one, right? <laughs> really yeah. What What if you get blocked by the FTC? Antitrust yeah, buying up all these competitors. <laughs> I'm an attorney. They're, they're one of their own. They'll be like, "Yeah, I used to." <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but Tom, have you um have you given any thought? And I know, I know, right when I bought the business, like the um, you guys all started looking at everyone got hyped up. Sale. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Like, what's available in my area? Like, have you have you looked at that at all? Um. Yeah, I, I take a quick look probably every six or eight weeks or something. I haven't looked recently. Um, okay. Just to see what's around. Is it something that's really like, nothing interesting? Is it something on your priority list ever buy like a small business you take 100% of? I'd do it, yeah. Yeah, that's that uh, didn't really answer the question. Is it a priority? Well, I, I'm. Is it a goal? I'm, or is no, it just more like I, a, if it comes up, I'll do it? No, it's more like I'm just trying to figure out where to intelligently put cash and if that makes the most sense um i'd do it yeah so just opportunistic not not yeah, really for sure. I, I, yeah i mean like that's fair i i assume a couple of years ago your plan was just to keep buying buying real estate indeed it was run the burr method or something um and then you obviously had a change a slight change of tech because an opportunity came up so that's kind of how i view but it as well it was more a change in the order of priorities i still want to get in like I still want my real estate portfolio to be much larger than it is now, and it'll be a big part of things in the future. But um, yeah, just focusing on that cash flow first, I think, makes a lot more sense. Um, especially seeing just kind of how some of these bigger investors now did things. Not not that I'm saying I'll ever reach that level, but if you take away some of the fundamentals from it and use it to your advantage, it's kind of where I'm getting at. Though it's by no means necessary, of course. You can be very successful without buying a private business outright. Um, yes. Just seemed like a fun challenge and a potentially lucrative one. <clears throat> yeah. But if you keep rolling them up at two times cash flow, that compounds pretty fast. Yeah. Well, well as, long, as long as you keep the cash flow up, that's the hard part. <laughs> yes. Anyone can buy buy a business and run it into the ground. So you still have to have 
some ability or certainly a lot of uh, potentially you have to put a lot of just time and energy in. Um, so anyways, certainly. Um, I just want to say our latest super chat sticker. It's like sort of the, it's like a foam finger sort of <laughs> sticker. You know what I mean? <laughs> I have no idea what these actually look like. <laughs> well, thank you, Aaron. I mean, like, like what people have at sports games and stuff. Oh, know, like the foam, foam finger. finger the, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like we're number one i suppose yeah oh, i appreciate it aaron that, that's malaysian <laughs> yeah there we go i've got a question here from bradley how are you guys protecting yourselves and your balance sheets from all the potential headwinds and recession risks work harder diversify income streams question mark hmm uh, i'll i'll yield that to you tom uh, yeah, this has changed a lot since buying a house. Um, yeah, because it, it used to be when we were renting that uh, we really had no debt at all. Can you hear that noise outside? Yeah, a little bit. Shut my window. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so someone's rude. chainsawing or something. Yeah, does someone know what time it is? Does someone know that we're currently filming Punch Card Investing? Yeah, we're live. Yeah. <laughs> what was saying, I saying? House, yeah. So yeah. So when we, when we were renting, it was just um, we had no debt at all, basically, besides a little bit of student loan debt, which are completely interest-free in New Zealand. So there's no incentive to pay it off mm-hmm. at all. Um, so I'm just paying the bare minimums on that. So, uh, yeah, we're in a position where we just stacked up cash until we found interesting stocks to buy sort of thing. Um that's changed a little bit now. I have some floating interest rate debt, which we've almost cleared entirely. But uh, in the past few months, that's been a home for idle, what would otherwise be idle cash back when we were renting. So, um, what's the wait, what's that debt for? Uh, on the house. So part of it is is variable. Uh, yeah, part of it is. Uh, the bulk of it is fixed I, for five years. Um, yeah, I knew that much. We, I didn't realize you yeah. still had some that was variable. Um, we had a little bit probably discussed it at some point yeah we we had some cash that was left over um you know over and above what we needed for a deposit so we more or less um borrowed that amount plus a tiny bit more so we more or less paid off straight out the gate but it's we can draw down on that money if we want to for whatever reason so sure yeah that's sort of how it's structured now so uh, yeah we have very little cash around these days that's how i've kind of structured it but there's there's money available and we've got a stock portfolio and all that sort of stuff if things get crazy but um yeah that's where it fair enough how about um, you you're allergic to cash aren't you oh, no i'm not allergic <laughs> i'm it's a complicated relationship <laughs> um right well i'm 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 making myself uncomfortable with the amount of like cash I'm putting towards that. Cause like, I'd really love to use it for other things, but I'm just trying to focus on debt pay down right now. And it's unfortunate that I won't be like as liquid as I could be. Um, if things were to get really bad, but at the same time, if I can insulate myself by lowering the amount of payments I have to make, that's also very useful. So you don't need as much liquidity in a rough event. Um, but one thing that I do feel a little bit better about now is that if I, I I'd say the worst case scenario or something that'd be really bad to happen would be me losing my uh, job in as an attorney, because that's the bulk of our income right now, uh, even after the business purchase. But the nice thing is I do have this business I can now push on like a lever um, 
if I put a bunch of hours into it, I will make money from it. Whether I make as much as I was in this, as an attorney, uh, that's not really the point, but I could make more money if uh, I were to lose my attorney salary. I could put all my effort into this business or at least a lot more. And that could be a way to increase my income after losing a bunch. So um, I won't starve. And even then, uh, the best insurance plan is dual income with no kids. So um, my, my wife's salary uh, will definitely take care of um but that, that's enough to cover all of our expenses. And even I think all of our debt payments, like all of them, even if uh, our tenants stop paying rent too. So uh, from that perspective, we're not as leveraged. I mean, we wouldn't be saving anything at that point, but I think we could cover just about everything, which is, which is a solid position to be in, um, even nice. if it would be uncomfortable. Uh, but then again, there's a chance she loses her job too. So if we somehow lose both of our jobs, which are in very different industries, uh, I'd be unfortunate. and. We just have to go all in, all in on the business. Um, meanwhile, we're just clearing as much debt as we can uh, in the meantime, and that should put us in a stronger position to where we don't need as much uh, yeah. long-term. Jack, Jack remi- remind me um, on your net worth series on your YouTube channel what the goal is. Is it a million dollars by 30? Is that the – Yeah, this is an arbitrary goal, goal. yes. <laughs> a million by yeah. 30. Um, and, you're, uh, you're, you're pretty much there on the asset front, right? You just got to clear the debt at this point. Well, sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. at like 1.1 1. 1 or 1. 1.2 in assets, Yeah, but I'm at like 1.1 1. 1 in liabilities as well. So, so, <laughs> so my net yeah. worth isn't very good from that perspective, but, um, it doesn't include yeah. some assets that like, you know, it doesn't include my wife's retirement accounts. Uh, but it includes pretty much everything else. And, I would argue it's a bit conservative in some of the real estate valuation and it doesn't include real estate reserves as well. So really my actual net worth is a bit higher, but um, yeah. Yeah. Caleb asked how old am I? I'm, I'm 25. I turned 26 in uh, three weeks. So <laughs> nice. almost there. Oh, that's right. You're, you're a fool, aren't you, Jake? Yes, yes. April Fool's yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, all, all, all I was saying is, I mean, you don't you don't have to get carried away doing deal after deal, right? You, can, well, you just pay, pay the well, debt you're going to make. The thing is, the million-dollar thing was just like to have it's like some goal, but that's not really the goal long-term. Um, that's just kind of like one step in the tree, and the idea would be like, oh, okay, once I do that, I'll be in a fine financial position. Um, I won't have to worry as much as if I did. Well, assuming uh, I should say a million dollars in 2018 terms. <laughs> so whatever that is. <laughs> when, you could get a Big Mac when you, by the time you're 30. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if a million dollars <laughs> yeah. is going to be chump change in, in like three years yeah. time, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> and uh, Luis says I can also collect super stickers. So yes, that is correct as well. Um, yes. But yeah, that's the goal. The, the, really above all, it's just having diversified income, a decent nest egg, and then just having the ability to um, spend a bunch of, um, not spend a bunch of money, but having the ability to um, work on my my business portfolio and, and keep building that up uh, and having that take up an increasingly large share of things. Um, that'd be a good position to be in. So uh, that's what I'm working on. But right now I got to dig myself out of this hole. I think I'd put, put, uh, put things in backwards order, spent a little bit too much time in real estate, did this big house rehab in hindsight, I would not have done it like that um, again, but you know, it set me behind however many months. So that's kind of what I'm working on. Um, you know, we're nearing the end of the show, but I did mention that a very uh, special person would be joining us. And that is 
the after dinner investor. Hey, <laughs> there he is. He's here. Good to see you guys. Um, sorry, I'm late. I, I had to run to the bank. Um, <laughs> long line, long line tonight, but everything's okay. <laughs> I thought you were serious for a second. Like, yeah, wait, it's, like it's 9 p.m. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. did the ATM work or, or not? Well, um, there's no problem, Tom. Uh, we'll, okay. yeah, <laughs> but uh, Monday can't come soon enough. How, how are you guys doing well? Totally. Doing what? Did I did I miss the best ideas, or can we still get some ideas out of guys? That's what we, I showed we were up talking for. about. We actually talked about banking. I think we're going to do best ideas next next week. But um, we just—I mean, you just, I think you just saw that question we had up there. Maybe that would be kind of a good one to answer. We're just kind of answering audience questions right now. But um, Bradley here asked, "How are you guys protecting yourselves and your balance sheets from all the potential headwinds and recession risks? Work harder, diversify income streams. Like, you know, what's going on in the uh, Rothman household?" Um, I'm buying Arconic. And that's it. <laughs> All in. Uh, Problem so solved. <laughs> no, I mean, I've, I mean, I've got a great, um, I mean, it could be a best idea. It could, uh, you know, be a run on the bank next week. You never know uh, when you're talking about stocks. But uh, I think you got to do all those things, right, Jack? You got to make money. You got to invest money. You got to make more money. Clear um, the debt at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and don't put all your cash in what we were just saying with uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Don't put it all in a 1.63% 10-year mortgages. And uh, <laughs> Can you guys imagine going bankrupt uh, on treasuries? It's like a crazy thing. I was telling Tom that earlier today. Yeah. But crazy. they did. Well, and Tom, Tom told me why. Leverage. Yeah, it's because you have all these depositors that are can withdraw at any time. So, Yeah. I mean, they were they were leveraged thirteen to one or something before before everything went bad. So the the value of the bonds doesn't have to move much for that to blow up. Hmm. If if people want their money out, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, they incinerated the equity just from I mean before people wanted their money out. But um, it's one of those. That's probably that's why people wanted their money out, and then it went bad. <laughs> yeah, right. It was. It's one of those situations where we like to say that volatility isn't risk, but this is one of those situations where volatility becomes risk because you're leveraged. Um, leverage yeah. is really where the risk comes from, but the volatility is like the catalyst um, in this situation. So, yeah, uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna have a bunch of deposits out where people can withdraw at any time, better be careful with what you do with your liquid reserves. I'm, I'm gonna predict that by Monday, this is 100% solved. And every single depositor, like all these Silicon Valley startups that have to make payroll next week, mm-hmm. that were above the two hundred fifty thousand dollars insured. Maybe I'm saying things you guys already said, but yeah. um, I, I, they have to solve that problem. You would think so, just because of the size. Yeah. Um, we were kind of suggesting that it might be solved in a matter of days, even even if not Monday. Uh, yeah, because yeah, that, that would. Given given how the government's behaved before, there's usually a lot of backstops. And even if it wasn't the government, you'd imagine some private player would come in quickly too. Um, though right now it seems to be in the government's court. The crazy thing is, you know, there's all these small banks and their owners across the country. And someone out there has their pants down. Like someone is doing the same thing these guys were doing. Oh, messed yeah. up, <laughs> And uh, they're just probably like, oh, I hope it doesn't get to us. Yeah. Well, we'll see. 
<laughs> saying don't will. don't panic. That's the key. <laughs> yeah, don't panic. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were going to close shortly, Jason. Oh no! Don't but, let me don't let me interrupt you. But what's new with you? <laughs> you, you like, but uh, how do you? You can't even help with a story. Let you decide on how you want to close this out. Is there any t- like little quick topic? Got a question? Maybe. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot of things I could discuss. I get I've there's been, a lot, but you gotta, I've been you talking with. Uh, I've been talking with some extremely high level people, like and uh, some <laughs> people can vouch for that. I, I've been talking to people all over the world. I've been talking to, with people in very interesting rooms. Um, but we'll save that for a later date. If you guys want to talk about my, you know, close with maybe my best idea. And then if, uh, you guys want to talk about it next week further after looking that, at that, it, happy that can be our teaser for next week's best idea show. Yeah. You can kind of get us warmed up for that. So I, I just want to say quickly, Jason's not exaggerating when he's, when, when he's talking about his connections. Yeah. Here. I, should, I just put that out there. Yeah. Um, but uh, people have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> I talked to a high level. It depends who the high level people are, but they're they're out there. Um, but yeah, I'm all teed up for my best idea because I I've got an interesting idea. I'm not going to call it the best idea. There's people that talk about stocks and then like a week later the bank goes to zero in two days, and then there's clips of it. So I don't really feel like saying best idea, but I have an interesting idea. Um, it's a merger workout. It's called Arconic, A-R-N-C. And full disclosure, if what I'm about to say happens, happens relatively soon, I'm going to get way more than like 30 or 40%. I'm going to get like many, many bags. But if that happens, I'm happy to come back and talk about what I did. If it doesn't happen, We'll never hear about it again. Um, <laughs> but basically, my point is, full disclosure, I have a bet on this business um, getting acquired. So um, this is like an aluminum uh, company. They make like rolled aluminum. And they had been spun off from Alcoa uh, a few years ago. And then the spinoff that they were a part of, like got they spun off from that. So it, it's uh, it's a company that's been chopped up a lot. Um, but basically, uh, an article, article comes out in the wall street journal a couple, a week or two ago saying that, uh, I think the company, yeah, it's Apollo, a private equity company, um, has some, I'm, I'm reading from the article here has submitted a bid in February and has debt financing in place. Uh, they might've got some notes from Jack, but they have debt financing in place. And now Arconic and their advisors are going out talking to other potential advisors and, uh, the way I structured it is not typical merger workout. And like, if it, if the deal doesn't happen, I might take a loss. Uh, but if one was to buy this stock and own the stock, uh, potentially it could get bought out. And if it doesn't, I'm reading different estimates online and the company seems to be, a lot of people might think they're in an okay shape, even if they don't get uh, bought out. So it's an interesting situation. Uh, but what what caught my eye was that the fact that they already have a bid, the people who made the bid have money and they have the debt financing in place. And it's just kind of a feel thing. It's, it's a company that I don't think anyone would really care if it gets bought. And I don't I don't think there's much that could stop it, um, but it may not happen. Um, what are you left with if, if it doesn't happen? Well, that depends. Um, I'm kind of looking here at the income statement here. Yeah. 
so the company um they do they do make money and their earnings are projected to grow in the coming years apparently as the price of aluminum comes back uh within the la- like recent time period they they bought back 300 million dollars of stock and they just approved 200 million dollars more um so they have they have cash flow they they've uh they've been um buying back stock um just quickly, yeah, what what, what price is the off what price is the offer at? Jason? We don't know. We don't know. And that, that's the interesting thing. The article says that um they quote someone that says essentially if the deal was going to happen, it would happen at a significant premium. And I'm testing my merger workout skills with this one because they have debt, net debt of about 1.5 billion. When this article came out. Today, I think the business I'm going to check now is like 2.5, 2.6 billion in market yeah, cap. 2. When it when the deal came or when this article came out, talking about a potential deal, I think the market cap was like 2.2 or something like that. So, if you take 2.2 plus 1.5, um, that's uh, 3.7, I think, and then you divide that by their shares outstanding, that's like 36 dollars and change. So. I could be doing that wrong, but my understanding is that like if if they had to buy the debt, that would be reflected in the in the stock price. I think if they're paying the enterprise value, I'm just testing my skills here. I'm trying something out, but uh, my my prediction, like or my if I had to, you know, make make a prediction here, I'm going to say thirty seven dollars a share. Um, that would be kind of the debt plus the plus the equity. Um, but I could be wrong about that. But I, I also could, someone else could make an offer. It could go higher. But again, the deal may not happen. Um, so it's a, it's one of those merger workout things. So have you bought calls, Jason? Just by the way you worded that a little earlier. That yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. yeah, I have. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, some of them and are. I was confused how twenty six to thirty seven was quote many bags, but now I see. <laughs> it's it's going to be a lot of bags, or it's going to be no bags, or it's going to be a few bags or break even. It depends what the stock price does, but um, I think basically the bet I structured is uh, July calls and December calls, uh, both and uh, thirty dollars strike price st- strike price, and the premiums were pretty cheap. Um, I think, I, I think, I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. They were, they were cheap though. Um, so, Jason, are you an options man now? I'm. I, so yeah, I don't think you've met him, but after after dinner trader uh, also exists, <laughs> and um, you can respect this, Jack. Behind every great fortune uh, that I've seen out there. There's someone else's money. Like all these guys that are billionaires who manage money, they always raise money from someone else or the private equity people. I'm reading a book um, about Black Black Stone, um, about Steve Schwartzman. And beginning of the book, you know, how does that guy become a multi-billionaire? They went around for two years and tried to raise money. So I guess my point is like, I'm not doing that. And at some point, we got to make some real money here, Jack. We need to. We have to. I mean, so I, I'm willing I to take some but, but hold on a second. You know, other people's money, sure. And I, I hear what you're saying. I would probably tend to agree, but is options. Oh, you would. Um, 
I mean, it's uh, it depends. I've had a lot of success in the last year with options, a lot of success, a lot. Um, but I know the game I'm playing, and it's a lot different than um, stocks. So to me, it's all a capital capital allocation decision. You know, taking the last few percentage points, whatever it is, um, and uh, taking some shots. There's also some interesting things I've done with uh, call options in the last year, where I've I think they call it in the money. Um, like if Alibaba is trading at I seventy. I would buy calls with an exercise price of like 30 or 40. Sure. Yeah. And um, maybe you could say like, well, what are the odds that Alibaba would go down to 30 or 40 within the next couple of years? Seemed, seemed low at the time. Um, still seem, well, I don't want to say because I'm out, <laughs> but it's, it seemed low and the price has come back. But um, there's ways with options where you take them out a couple of years. If you have the opportunity, the leaps um, where maybe, one could argue you could lower areas of risk and also buying deep in the money where the exercise price is a lot lower than where you think the stock might trade. Um, but it's, it's very different. Uh, you can, you don't, I'll tell you this after I go from an options trade, I have the utmost respect of the feeling of owning a share of stock, like understanding, like no matter what happens, no matter the bank runs, no matter anything else, as long as I want to own this stock and no one can come take it from me um, because of like any liabilities, it's a great feeling. So it, it definitely makes, it crystallizes the beauty of uh, share ownership. That's for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're introducing a very different risk, which is time decay, which I think is what you're getting at and that you don't really own it. Well, I mean, you own it, but you own the contract, but the contract goes away. Unlike the share barring bankruptcy, you know, um, a lot, a lot of people talk about time decay, but I I read up on um I think it's I, I think a lot of what I read up on was based on Joel Greenblatt, and a lot mm-hmm. of when I learned the stuff, it was more like forgetting that time decay stuff and forgetting what the option might trade at, but actually going and thinking about the full exercise with that option. Like, okay, I'm buying this option with the premium. Yeah. If the if the stock trades above the exercise price, I would get twenty dollars. The exercise price was ten. I pocket ten dollars, and the uh, premium was three dollars. I make like three times my money. So I found kind of forcing yourself to think that way it kind of forces some reality. Um, but the the big risk I'm taking, I believe, uh, when I when I buy call options, is if that freaking stock price is not above the exercise price um, at a certain point in time, or if it or if it, uh, sorry, if it, yeah, and if it dips below that exercise, or if, yeah, if it dips below the exercise price, then I won't have the opportunity to exercise that option, and the option goes to zero, and mm-hmm. I lose the premium I paid. So right. that, that's always the big risk, is that you don't, you can't exercise the option, or it it, it trades below the point where you could, and then it, it's not trading for anything, it's, it's worthless. So are you looking for bargain options, or... Or because you know if, if 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 the stock's very volatile, the you know what's called the implied volatility goes up, and that can make the option contract really expensive compared to where it might have been before that happened. So, are you looking for like, kind, of, kind of low IV stock uh, stock options, or like, or is it just purely based on kind of like a, all right? I think this fundamental event, this merger, whatever it might be, might happen. 
and mm-hmm. these options don't seem egregiously priced. Is that is that kind of the methodology, or do you have a methodology? I should say the, the latter. The latter is is what I how I what I've when I've studied it. That's kind of the way I learned, and then that's how I think about it. again. Just taking shots here it could be uh, very much wrong about this stuff compared to people who've done this a lot longer, but. Um, that's the way I think about it. So you could take Seritage, for example, 18 to a million dollars a share, Tom, or is it $23 a share they might get? So uh, I think 23 might be close. <laughs> take yeah. something like uh, Seritage. We all, I wouldn't say the word no, but we all have a high suspicion that potentially within the next year or two, we might be getting 18 to $23 a share at people who own uh, Seritage. And if like the, the, the exercise price of an option was like um, twelve dollars, and you paid a dollar premium for that. Well, you the stock's at eighteen. You exercise at twelve. Um, uh, you go buy it for twelve. You sell it for eighteen. You pocket six. You paid a dollar instead of like going from twelve to eighteen and getting like a forty percent gain. You made six hundred freaking percent. I think I'm just going off the top of my head here, um, but of course. There's always risk because what if Seritage decides to just do some kind of huge dividend or something like that, and that doesn't get reflected in the stock price maybe, and you don't get that dividend as a person who paid a premium to buy an option. Mm-hmm. So it risks are all around uh, with this stuff. And I've, I've been trying to learn it, and I've been trying to learn it with um, a small percentage of my portfolio um, because I know the, the risk is very high. Some, if, if you're wrong, um, but th- I've seen a few situations where either people don't like the business and I think the business is going to trade for either at the price it is or a little bit higher within two years. I like those really long term options um, and the premiums just look cheap. And I run that math and I go, whoa, I could get this kind of return. Uh, and I've also seen a few times with these merger workouts where it's like, Man, if this thing goes from twenty six or whatever it is to uh, thirty four, and I'm paying a dollar premium um, on a twenty seven dollar exercise price, it could be like a great return and it could be fast. But if if the deal doesn't happen or if the deal happened at like thir- I'm, my exercise price is thirty, if the deal happened at twenty eight, and I can never exercise my thirty dollar option and it becomes worthless, that's a that's a problem. But I think Tom, you were wanting to get in there. Yeah, I was just going to say, it sounds like you're mainly doing it on these sort of um, more binary type situations, which I think is kind of what Greenblatt would do as well. That's how that he has a, someone wrote an article about, I think it comes from him, but like Wells Fargo and their earnings were depressed back in the day. And he thought their earnings were going to come out at X dollar a share. And if they came out at X dollar a share, there was like no way it was going to trade for like two times earnings or something like that. And he felt pretty confident, but the key thing with that article was it was a leap. It was like a long-term option and those go out. Like sometimes they can go out two years. So that really lessens in some cases, the risks that, Oh, it'll trade below my exercise price. And I can't, I can't exercise it. Um, but, but again, you could be wrong about your view of the, the potential exercise price, but I've been seduced basically, Jack, I've been absolutely seduced here. And, um, but there have been situations, Tom, with like Alibaba where it was just totally beat up, uh, totally beat up. And, um, the deep in the money options were a cheap, uh, cheap premium. 
which that that approach has effectively just been kind of leveraged along the stock totally it totally it because yeah. like if um alibaba was 70 and the premium was uh seven or whatever um and you put down like seven hundred dollars instead of buying 10 shares you could buy the right to whatever that math is i guess a hundred a hundred shares yeah um and if it goes up um it just you you get a lot a lot bigger benefit than owning the stock but i i really love that situation because it just didn't seem like alibaba over a more than two-year period it was like 25 months or something uh was going to trade below or stay below um 50 70 whatever it was but interesting I mean, be careful, Jason. <laughs> yeah, don't get, don't get too seduced. Downside first. Well, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. Oh, totally, totally um, focus on the downside first. And I know there's been uh, bad stories about options in the past. Um, I, I focus on one specific type of option where what I'm putting at risk, my maximum loss is, is the premiums I'm paying. And the premiums I'm paying is sure. my choice in the portfolio. <laughs> you to, could to be, be far more reckless, of course. <laughs> and that, that's why I haven't even in the past, I don't really um, like talking about options, but I mean, my portfolio will come out in like July and um, some of it is options, but it's very, I very much focus on the only ones where um, you put in your premium on that call when you buy the call and um, it gives you a nice, uh, this is, would be your max loss. And, that's totally controllable. And in full disclosure, part of the bet, and this is the funny part, I said, well, you know what? I'm putting in 1%, 3%, maybe a little higher than that, whatever the percentage was. If it doesn't work out, racists will just go up and pay for it <laughs> over the next, I don't know, year or two. Hey, you know, it went up in the last month and already paid for it. So you could have just bought we're more racist okay over here. with the options money. Or buy, buy racist I options. don't know if I'm allowed traders? to buy more racist than I bought. I have to check into the rules. So before I buy more racist. Before you buy 30% of the company. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, we do get a super chat from Jonathan. And he issues a warning. I've traded a lot of options in the past. Zero sum game. An exclamation point missing missing a sad exclamation point at the end <laughs> well you know jonathan we're putting on a show here punch card investing it's a world i mean this is a big show and uh guys if this if news comes out that uh arconic gets bought at like i don't know 41 45 dollars wouldn't that be funny wouldn't that be a good time if i come back here and i say i took we're i mean we're rooting for you jay we're always thank rooting you. for you thank you but we're you know, you're part of the family. We want what's best for you. <laughs> and, okay. and people, the people are concerned. Sometimes they're very vicious when they're concerned, but um, it, that, that's all it is. It's very foreign to a lot of folks, the options game. You um, know, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but there's something in my head uh, where it was either a Monish le- lecture or it was a book I read, but at some point, I remember hearing the question, and again, I could be wrong. Someone was talking to Charlie Munger, or he was talking, and they asked him about Buffett back in the early days. And he said something to the effect of like leverage, options. He did it all, something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a great recent Charlie quote. Uh, what is it, Tom? Smart- Young men know the rules. Wise men, wise old men know when to break them. 
something so, like that. Yeah. yeah. There will there will not be a, a horn tooted louder uh, than if this deal gets done. I come back here and we get a nice uh, back. No, I'm kidding. We'll we'll talk about it. It'll be Just fun. Be careful. I, it'll be one little pat on the back, and then we'll uh, we'll move on. Uh, I, I will say to that, but Buffett did. Uh, I believe he was selling a ton of options around the financial crisis, um, which often gets overlooked. Um, options definitely can be a useful tool for a value investor in particular. I I like to think selling options makes a bit more sense for given the framework uh, going long options is a bit of a different game. Um, it's a totally but, different game. I've, I've watched uh, your videos, Tom with uh, Matt Peterson and learned a lot right uh, from those videos and the kind of lock. Well, I don't know if it's locked in, but the kind of you, you know what kind of return you're going to get um, right. versus I would the other side things where you're, you're basically the stock you needed to move up just like it would be or similar to when you buy a stock and uh, you want that same thing to happen. But the upside is um, a lot higher, but the downside is also a lot larger versus that other stuff. Fascinating stuff. Um, Well, before we ruffle any more feathers, (laughs) um, uh, we should probably wrap up shortly. I mean, I wish you the best of luck with this, Jason. Thank I'm you. not going to follow you long into it, but um, uh, no, I, and I wouldn't want. Um, but the, the only thing I want to happen is someone to buy that company. But um, I, I'm my, just, my, I'm just sharing my interesting situation. My, my, only, um, Jason, my only... we've got a serial acquirer on this on this stream. Actually, if <laughs> if you want someone to buy it, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in the market for an aluminum company. You know, it's very <laughs> yeah. vital to our cleaning operations. <laughs> Yes. Jack, do you have a uh, four a billion bill. lined up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you just go to a couple banks, be like, "Hey, yeah, the, they're in a good mood this yeah. week." Say, so, hey, <laughs> uh, you got four billion liquid, or just created out of thin air? That's how banks really do it. <laughs> yeah, four yeah. billion of credit. Yeah, we're we're finding that out. Yeah, just just send it over to this other bank, and then uh, we'll, we'll we'll. I mean, buy. we're all trying to make money here. Jack and I mean, what yeah. do you want? You want me to buy treasuries? I mean, I, that doesn't seem that safe either. Yeah, I mean, buy what, what the do 1.6 percent by yeah. 88 billion, 1.6 percent 10 year treasuries, like a, or more. I think this listed as mortgages, bonds, buy those. Um, that, that'll get that that works well. <laughs> um, yeah. all I can say is, Jason, just be careful. Um, but it sounds like you're acknowledging the, the downside risk, which is all you can really do with options. Um, See the upside, bet, bet, sizing, downside, yeah. and, bet sizing and, and knowing your full risk that you're taking and, and how much you could lose and then bet sizing. Yeah. The, the hardest part is that it, it just, because of the time decay, you're introducing the short term into it, which is just so random at times. And that's, that's where we meet great pause. Um, uh, but we'll see, we'll see uh, how it goes. That's all I yeah. can really say about any of these, especially these kind of, I mean, I get uh, to Jack. I, no matter no matter who's on that week, no matter. I mean, we got to go six. If all five of you guys here, if this deal happens, like I got to I got to come back that week, right? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you mean if it's announced? Yeah, I'll just, I'll just fund super chats all episode long. Like, hey, it's me again, me again, me again. Oops, I hit it again. Oops, my bad. <laughs> just, I, mean, just I wouldn't object. I wouldn't object to that, but box. I mean, it's a little obnoxious, but it's it's in our favor, so it's fine. <laughs> So you guys look like a lot of activity tonight with the super chats. That's cool. Yeah, we did. We did. The people were very supportive today. People are always supportive, yeah. but they were very supportive today. Good. We had a lot of super stickers today. Yeah, <laughs> Tom was 
so we can't see them on StreamYard. So Tom, Tom had a second tab up with uh, YouTube just to see what they were. Um, Translate them, yeah. All right. Well, I guess with that said, uh, if if you really want to prove your support for the channel, um, we appreciate the super chats as always. But you really want to subscribe if you haven't already. If you can subscribe, that is a true vote of confidence for the channel, and it shows that you really support us. So we'd very much appreciate that. And you won't miss next week's episode since we put a new one, uh, put a, a new episode out every single week, or at least we try to. Um, pretty close to it every now and then we have to bail because it's too many schedules to coordinate or stuff's going on or whatever but um if you like what you see here and even if you don't like it and you just want to be angry in the comments like that's cool too we appreciate the views that always helps us out smash the like button if you did like it and if you didn't like it you can still smash the like button that helps us out too and uh, check out all the stuff in the description below but until next time everyone see ya Thanks for tuning in to Punch Card Investing. The contents of this show should not be used as investment advice or as a recommendation to invest in a particular security. Please consult with a licensed investment advisor if you need investment advice. All investments carry risk and the potential for monetary loss. Thank you and see you next week.